Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from an undisclosed location from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. It's not undisclosed. I will disclose it. Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's a little bit middle of nowhere. I can't lie, but it's been a phenomenal first couple days here on the road trip. I got to say, the other night, I was hanging off the side of a mountain, waiting for sunset, you know, looking down on 10,000 cacti and, you know, having that, you know, very uh, (laughs) pseudo-intellectual thought of like, you know, cacti are a lot like human. They share... Uh, similar characteristics, and yet every single one of them is unique. I'm starting to think, you know, maybe it is the differences among man that I should be appreciating more. Maybe I shouldn't give you such a hard time for changing your mind all the time. I started to think, is the grease pig too negative? My mind's going that direction. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> David Griffin's incredible interview on the Woj pod is, is pumping through my AirPods, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking out at the beautiful rock as the sun and the, and the, the sky is turning purple and David Griffin yep. is telling me about the power of positive thinking and how I can just will myself into being whoever I want to be and how he wants to join his family with Drew Holiday's family into one giant family. And I'm just starting to do that thing from Breaking Bad where you think you're turning into a bird or like a different kind of animal. Like my brain is going that direction and I'm like, yes, I might be able to fly. This will be great. I get about 30 seconds into that and I realize like, no, 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 that's not what hap- what's happening here. What's happening is I'm reaching internal bliss. I have found the happiest state of mind that is possible. And I just sat there, you know, you, you were saying, oh, go ahead and go out there and meditate. It was past meditation, Andrew. It was just a completely different level of, uh, of awakening. And yeah. I got to thank David Griffin and his unbelievable perspective on life for helping me achieve it. But here I am in a very, very happy mood, ready to do battle with you and to appreciate, uh, you know, some of the things that, you know, maybe in the past I've been a little bit too negative about. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like full-blown transcendence for you out there in the desert. Was this in the middle of Saguaro National Park? Is that where you were? Yeah, basically. I'm not sure you're pronouncing it right. They pronounce it with a really soft W in the middle there, so it's a little Saguaro, bit confusing. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering whether I had the pronunciation right. My wife went there last year and, and had good things to say about it. So. Oh, did she come out with the peyote talk too, or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's just you. Um, I'm really impressed, though, as you... I mean, you told me you were going to unplug, and I told you at Summer League it sounded like you were headed on something of like a serial killer road trip because you were going solo through six or seven different national parks in seven or eight days, and it's the type of trip that only you would plan, but you were like, yeah, I just need to get away from it, clear my head a little bit, and then there you are in the middle of Saguaro National Park listening to the Woj pod with David Griffin, <laughs> unplugging and clearing your mind. So as, as much as you try to get away from all this and get out of that summer league mindset, get out of those no, trenches, I mean, you look, can Andrew, never stray too far. Look, Andrew, I mean, you got 12 hours of driving a day. Trust me, I have heard everyone's Westbrook take. If you had a Westbrook <laughs> take and you put it on the internet, I have listened to it. I started listening to a Michael Lewis book yesterday, which opened with this incredible scene of the Rockets uh, interviewing Satnam Singh. 
the Undoing oh. Project. Uh, I highly recommend it out there. People always, uh, you know, asking for book recommendations. Not exactly like a, you know, under the radar classic. I mean, pretty much everyone's probably already read it, but yeah, um, everyone's one- read everything that Michael Lewis has written. But actually. I thank you for yeah. reminding me that that podcast exists because I meant to listen to it and it came out, I think, during the playoffs. And so that's a good um, August to-do list item for me. And also, yeah. look, while open we're here, Globe. if you're yeah. looking for under-the-radar authors, you know, people, you know, obscure <laughs> writers, I just recommend Michael Lewis, probably Ernest Hemingway, um, yeah. you know, you know, Frost, you know, maybe, maybe just dip your, your toes into the Frost, but what can I say? Well, and also, I do want to say, if anyone has good book recommendations, please email openfloormail at gmail.com. I'm about to go on a longer vacation in a few weeks, and um, yeah, I am looking for non-basketball stuff to read, so hit me up, please, and um, now I'm just completely abusing the platform here. No, no, this and- is what it's for, but let me just say this. I feel like I had a great week, but do you know who had uh-huh. a better week than me? Who's that? Giannis Atenacupo. This guy is all over the world slanging these new Nike shoes, and look, we, we, we were banging on Nike for being slow to get the shoes ready to go, the Air Freak ones, and I mean, we probably brought it up. At least I brought it up probably 20 different times on this podcast. So we have to turn around and give them credit. Having him at the Drew League, having him in Greece, having him in Milwaukee with 20,000 fans, you know, at a rally where he's basically saying, don't call me the MVP until I win it again next year. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone has had a better summer from sort of a marketing and branding perspective. Now, look, <laughs> all due respect to Taco Tuesday. Okay. All due respect to LeBron James and Taco Tuesday. I think this has been the summer of Giannis, and it's exceeded my wildest expectations. They're selling out some of his product on the Nike app. I see that. It's like you have to get like kid sizes, the only thing that's left available. Um, The takeover is here, man. Giannis Inc. stock is booming. Listen, we're going to talk about Giannis in a minute. I will say I fucking love LeBron James and the Taco Tuesday videos. I'm not proud of it. I they're the type of like viral fare that I generally roll my eyes at, but um I will watch every single Taco Tuesday video that is released and I will watch it multiple times. I broke down the latest one on Twitter and Ben, I will also say that Taco Tuesday, the latest edition led me down a wormhole because LeBron has adopted, not adopted, but he there's Bronny's friend is this kid named Dior Johnson. And this is oh how boy. you know we're like descending into the middle of nowhere as far as basketball is concerned. And so Dior Johnson is a 2021 or 22 like superstar point guard in LA. He plays for Fairfax. And that led me down a wormhole of like, draft prospects in 21 and 22 and um all i can say is it was embarrassing to be scouting like 15 or 16 year olds on the internet but it does seem like there's a lot of talent out there down the line and i think next year's draft class is pretty pretty underwhelming even worse than this year's draft was um but there's a lot to get excited about like four years down the line 
Oh, thanks for that uh, early warning radar system. I really <laughs> I'm appreciate that. I'm just trying that. to give you a window into my world. You're out well, in hey. the middle of the cacti no, listening to David Griffin talk about team building. Guess I'm what? scouting the, the, the next generation. I'm with you, okay? Because I read the New York Times article on Brawny, and I got to say, Billy Witch did a great job of painting the picture at uh, Peach Jam, but mm-hmm. I think he was getting in some little digs there, Andrew. He was trying to make it seem like Brawny's just another guy. Oh, maybe he's going to go to Duke, but maybe he's going to go to Duquesne. That's That was Ooh. one of the lines that he used. <laughs> he said, look, he's a D1 player, but he's not exactly the most important person on his team right now. That's some yeah. fuel for Brawny. I don't think you want to poke Brawny like this. But going back to your uh, Taco Tuesday breakdown, uh-huh. uh, you said that you admired Savannah's refusal to participate. And I really think she's the Taco Tuesday MVP because, look, if she was going too hard with her refusal to participate and just like getting angry about it or you know just being over the top, it wouldn't really, you know, it, it would ring hollow, I guess is what I'd want to say. It'd just be too much. But she has the perfect, just like, not again, LeBron. This isn't funny. It's never been funny. I don't know why <laughs> you're putting this on the internet for millions of people. She's just over it, but the right degree of over it and not getting in the way of the fun that the kids are having. I yeah. think it's an elite performance. Honestly, I, it's rare that LeBron gets showed up on his own team. It doesn't happen very often on the court. Off the court, I think Savannah is the alpha. Yeah, I would say that both Savannah and Bryce James are killing it in those videos. And um, I think that they make me want to be a member of LeBron's family, which is a sign that they are (laughs) doing well. And um, yeah, so hopefully one day we'll all make it to taco tuesday at the james household boy we're like two weeks away from you writing a dot me at king james unbelievable (laughs) no absolutely not okay look i've been plenty critical of lebron through the years um but uh what were we talking about the uh the summer the summer david griffin's peyote (laughs) i mean yeah pick it up somewhere which topic (laughs) I love it. All right, let's start with this question from Nicholas, okay? He says, Andrew and Ben, can we please have a speculative best-case, worst-case scenario for a bunch of teams who think they're in contention for next year's NBA title? And he throws out the Sixers, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz, the Bucks. Um what do you think, Ben? How should we do this? I don't know, I don't know if we need to go through best-case, worst-case for each one of those teams. Well, I think the the first way to do this is to say, look, we've talked about the increased parity near the top compared to previous seasons. So you can just say like blanket statement. There's a lot of teams whose best case scenario is winning the title and we have to like crown their best player as like some new god, right? I mean, Joel Embiid's a great example of that. Giannis would be an example of that for the Bucks he mentioned. Uh, the LeBron AD uh, crowning or coronation that would happen if they reach their best case scenario uh, would, uh-huh. you know, just blow everybody on ESPN's mind. I mean, we're having GOAT conversations. We're saying, is Anthony Davis the best player in the game? I mean, all that stuff is possible for these teams' best uh, case scenarios. I think with the Western Conference teams, though, the worst case scenario is someone winds up missing the playoffs and the Sacramento Kings get in as like the eighth seed and then everyone is just absolutely, you know, rubbing their face in it. It could be the Lakers. I brought up that uh, possibility before. I mean, one extended injury to either one of their stars. Um, I think that that puts them into a dicey situation. And, you know, 
I think one byproduct of so many teams kind of going all in, finding these star pairings, you know, talking themselves into turn, uh, you know, like turning over the roster, having a new identity and all of that is that one of those experiments is not going to work. And there's enough other good teams in the Western Conference where you could get left behind. Um, and if you if you do make the playoffs, you could just lose in the first round and have it be very demoralizing, sort of like how it's been for the Thunder these last couple of years. So I think the range of, of best case, worst case is actually pretty similar for a lot of the teams towards the top. And yeah. uh, I think most people are talking themselves into something closer to the best case scenario. And somebody's going to be, uh, you know, unhappy, uh, you know, nine months from now. And I think the Lakers from last year are a really good example of this because I was taking the under on the Lakers the whole way through. I was just like, you know, this is too much hype. Uh, I respect them. I think they've got a good team, but they're not going to be great right out of the bat. And what do we see? Six straight lottery trip, fire the coach, fire the president. The whole thing blows up, you know, accusations of internal drama and all this other stuff. So even the people who are trying to forecast, uh, forecast the worst case scenario for the Lakers last year never could have imagined how dark it could get. And I think that yeah. we should be willing to, uh, you know, uh, entertain just how ugly it could get for a few of these teams. Well, hold on just a second there, okay? Because last year, I was throwing out the possibility of the Lakers missing the playoffs before the season, a month into the season, and then about two months into the season, LeBron was healthy, and things were clicking. The Lakers were maybe third or fourth in the West, and I remember being in Los Angeles with you, recording a podcast, and sitting there with you trying to hold my feet to the fire and hold me accountable for my Lakers pessimism. And now you're sitting here trying to claim that you were down on them all along. No, I don't I know, just, man. No, 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 I remember no, no. it differently. Okay. I was just under on their over-under win total. That's all I'm saying. And I think a lot of people okay. were thinking title. Now, you also raised the possibility early that LeBron could quit on them and it could all blow up which is basically what happened. But did you see the fallout extending no. as far as it did? <laughs> did anybody think Magic wasn't going to be in his job this summer? Did anybody think that uh, Luke Walton was going to be blown up? That one was a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, believable because of, you know, the track record there with LeBron and coaches. But still yeah. to have it all go get into you know, the degree of messiness, like just pick any no. one of these teams and say, what's the worst case scenario? Like for the Bucks, if we were going to do – Using the Lakers as the example, the Bucks' worst case scenario is that Le uh, Giannis misses uh, a month. They wind up missing the playoffs. Coach Bud has to get fired. John Horst gets fired, and they're like in complete scramble mode, trying to like get ready for Giannis's like upcoming free agency. Like that worst case scenario is what we would we would never bring that up as a possibility because it sounds yeah. too crazy. And that's it where the Lakers too got psychotic. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And I was thinking about that earlier this week. The Lakers have sort of stabilized here after two months of wild peaks and valleys in terms of hype and pessimism and um, kind of alarmism. But like you look back, even six weeks ago, you had like magic on first take calling out the COO, Tim Harris. You had them striking out on Ty Lue. Do you remember Ty Lue and the Lakers birthday cake? Like there's just been eight different chapters in this offseason where the Lakers have looked like they know what they're doing and then we go 180 degrees the opposite direction and so like there's no question that the Lakers have the the widest spectrum of outcomes next year as well because like 
nothing has really changed infrastructure wise with them. Like they're still as unstable as ever, but they do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, would you say their ceiling is winning a title? Um, their absolute best case scenario definitely would be winning a title. I mean, it would involve. So you think that's on the table? If they add one or two more pieces, I mean, I don't think they can win a title with their current group. But look, if if you know one of the Clippers stars get injured, I think that the Lakers are positioned to you know make a pretty nice run in the postseason. They're going to need some help, but you know we said the same thing about everyone needing help to beat Golden State, and I think it's flatter. I guess my my point here is, if you have seven really really good teams in the Western Conference someone is going to approach a worst case scenario that's similar to the Lakers from last year. And Mm -hmm. right now we're not anticipating that really for any of them. Like Houston, their worst case scenario could get really dark. And I think that that's what we should be kind of focusing on is, all right, if there is all this parody at the top, someone's going to be a loser here, right? And who is the team that winds up like just completely having to blow things up in the way that the Lakers did, you know, over the last six months. That's my main takeaway from this, other than trying to pinpoint specific teams. Okay, where is it going to go? That if you have a more level playing field, someone's bound to get the short end of the stick. Yeah, so you're saying we should be focused on the darkest timelines here at the end of July. Um, I just think we should learn our lesson from year one LeBron, right? It's like you could have the best of hopes. You could have a you know flashy new superstar. You could have a, a remade roster around him. All these things that these different teams have sort of embraced this summer. You can go into the season selling it hard. You can look great for the first couple of months like you just described. And then, you know, things can turn if you have that much competition. And uh, well, there's... There's just too many good teams in the Western Conference. And I'd say, like, for the worst-case scenario for the Eastern Conference, like, realistically, what? It's like one of these top two seeds winds up being fourth. You know, there's just there's no talent. There's no depth over there. So I think the range is smaller on that side of the bracket. To, to your point on the West, though, and we're not the first people to point this out, but you've got the Golden State Warriors, the Denver Nuggets, the Trailblazers, the Rockets, the Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Spurs. I don't know if we include the Spurs in, a, in that group of like West contenders, but half of those teams are not going to make it out of the playoffs. And most of those teams are going to enter next season, not only thinking that they're going to make it out of the first round of the playoffs, but like I would say most of them are going to expect to be in that West Finals mix or potentially like in the NBA Finals. And so I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a crazy situation that we're in right now where all these teams think they have a title shot and some of them are going to fall like not only short, but dramatically short. That's what I'm saying, man. There's It's a cemetery of broken hearts on the horizon. I can see it. I mean, the teams that I feel most confident about getting out of the first round, I'd probably say Denver... Uh, the LA Clippers, and then if given full health, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, but past okay. that, like I think there's a lot of coin flips. Um, you know, I could easily see the best case for Utah, you know, coming together the right way, and I could easily see some of their issues in the past, like coming back to bite them. Um, you know, same deal with the Lakers. I can envision a scenario very easily where they're in the Western Conference Finals or even Finals, but I don't trust three quarters of the guys they signed this summer, right, at all. And they've, right. they've got some holes that they really have to address, and hopefully they will. And if they're going to try to drag this roster into the playoffs, I think that's going to be a, a recipe for some disappointment. So um, you know, I think the the main takeaway from the best case, worst case here is that the worst case uh, is going to be pretty explosive, I think, in a couple of cases, because a lot of these teams are also very expensive, too. You know, putting together stars is not cheap. Um, and, you know, there's going to be, 
you know, a lot of pressure on executives. Whoever doesn't make that second round, uh, those executives are going to find themselves in the crosshairs pretty quick. Yeah, I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you pick like the three or four teams that are going to like full on fall apart. Um, The one team that I will say I am pretty down on after this summer is the, the, the Blazers, I think, got worse. And um, a lot of people are willing to give Damian Lillard the benefit of the doubt. And it's not fun to second guess the Blazers, but they basically lost every plus defender on their roster and replaced them with Mario Hazonia, Kent Bazemore, and Hassan Whiteside. Like, I just, I don't know, man. That that nucleus is not super inspiring. And I think, like, the selling point, if you're trying to sell hope in Portland, is that, like, Anthony Simons had a good summer league, and that's not super convincing to me either. And so when we're looking at that group of six or seven teams who will enter next season thinking they're contenders, the one team that jumps out at me as like the red flag or the red herring uh, is the Blazers. Like, I just don't think they have it. Yeah, I mean, the other the other way you can sell hope, though, is that they might get Westbrook in the playoffs again, you know, and that's a recipe for success for them. Uh, although at the same time, you know, Harden always kills them. So that's going to be a fascinating, like, counterbalance. If the Rockets play the Blazers in the first round, it's like, okay, which one of these things proves true? Westbrook blows it or, or Harden, you know, pulls them through. Uh, now I'm rooting for that series. Um, it yeah, would be fun. You know, I, I mean, of the teams that I feel the most confident, like I said, uh, you know, Denver, uh, the LA Clippers. I mean, I think that they have some characteristics that the Blazers right now lack because you're, it's not just the personnel that's departing, but I think there's going to be some style of play stuff that's going to have to change pretty dramatically. You've harped on the Hassan Whiteside thing. Um, yeah. you know, I think they're just trying to plan that to be like a smooth transition from Enos Cantor and and Nurkic, I'm not sure I see that. There's not a lot of smooth things about that Hassan Whiteside experience. And then on offense, I mean, he's been a guy <laughs> brutal. who's really I feel che- bad. He, no, he, well, he's I've really- been a little bit low on Whiteside, but basically the way I think about Whiteside is it's like you're getting Dwight Howard, except Whiteside has never had like the good years that Dwight Howard had. But he has all the maturity questions. He has all the fit questions in a modern NBA context. And particularly with what the Blazers do well and the way they've used their bigs over the last three or four years to unlock McCollum and Lillard, like Whiteside doesn't really fit that blueprint very well. And so I there's just a lot of questions. I think he's going to have at least a couple months next year where he'll have nights where he puts up 25 and 15 and the Blazers look great in the regular season, but I don't know. I mean, I would not want to bet on that dude. Yeah, and like he just fundamentally changes how his team's offense look and how they operate. And like, you know, year after year, the advanced numbers on him in terms of what he does to his team's offensive efficiency have been really rough. That uh, I think that's going to be a major kind of like stylistic change. Whereas you compare some of these teams I, I like more, I just think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George plug and play right? They just fit yeah. naturally with what the Clippers were already doing. It's going to be pretty seamless going forward. You know, same deal with Denver and the kind of the teams that I'm most confident about. It's not just the continuity, but it's already, it's a clearly established identity. And that's one reason why I'm pretty low on the Rockets too, is because I think a lot of things are going to have to change there to bring uh, Russell Westbrook in. Now I have a question for you because you raised this uh, Dwight Howard thing and, and you know, I've 
kind of pointed out like his reign of terror where everywhere he signs the coach or the GM gets fired basically going back like seven or eight years yep. I'm wondering though is Westbrook the next White Howard is Westbrook the guy where when teams will take a chance on him either they're they're going to lose their other stars because that's already happened a couple of times in Oklahoma City um, or you know he's going to be putting his uh, executives at risk. Like, is he the new ticking time bomb commodity in the NBA as he goes through the rest of this contract? Because we can agree, there's no way he plays the rest of this deal in Houston, right? Um, we can mostly agree on that. Yeah, I think there's a chicken and egg situation here, though, where like even with Dwight, it's unfair oh, to pin it on Dwight because well, the teams that would be predisposed to rolling the dice on Dwight Howard were already so desperate that they were at the end of the, the end of the line with like the nucleus they had, no, whether it's the coach, yeah. whether it's the GM. And that's sort of the same thing that we are seeing with the Rockets here too. But here's the thing though with Dwight. Yes, all those uh, teams were taking gambles, right? But the gamble yeah. blew up in their face every single time, right? So like, right. like Dwight was never the answer, right? If you're taking well, a gamble on somebody, you're hoping at is, some point he's going to be the answer. And like, yeah, he he wasn't time and time again. You could just as easily argue, though, that by the time should we sign Dwight Howard is the question that you're asking, that means that you're already just running out the clock and you've got another year left before reality hits. And that's certainly what happened with the Washington Wizards. Um, we'll see where Dwight ends up this summer. I don't see any team out there for him. Uh, as far as Russ, though, I think that we're underplaying how good they're going to be in the regular season. Ugh. You and I were a little bit too low on them on the podcast earlier All this right. week. You're letting everybody else deal, get man. into your brain. Come on. No, no, no. What I'm doing is knowing that the Rockets are always better than I would like them to be. And they are going to haunt me forever, and we're going to have to take them seriously, whether I like it or not. And that's what's going to happen through next year's regular season, is they will be successful enough so that you and I are going to have to talk about them as a contender, even though I will not believe in them. I don't believe in them any year, really, as a contender. But I think that they're going to be there. It's the same reason we were halfway through the NBA Finals, and I was like, look, I understand Golden State just won game two, but this Raptors team is going to haunt us regardless, and we're going to have to continue to take Kyle Lowry seriously as like a championship-level player because that's just the way the Raptors were playing throughout the playoffs. No matter how often you or I doubted them, they kept coming back. And, uh, and I think the Rockets are going to continue to come back to haunt me at least for the next year. And then the playoffs... Things could flame out. There's no question about it that the downside is there with them. And Russ, the one thing that hasn't been discussed enough as we talk through what that team is going to look like is like Russ's shooting, not like people focus on the three-point shooting. Yeah, whatever. He's never been a great three-point shooter, but he was a good mid-range shooter for most of his career. And that element of his game ha fell off, like, entirely last year. I mean, if you look at the numbers from his mid-range, he was, like, 10% worse. Maybe that was the knee stuff that he was dealing with for the first half of the season. But, like, that's a glaring hole uh, that he'll have to address. And the other thing that I think people are underplaying is how good Chris Paul was. 
as the guy playing off playing off Harden because like he his ability to use those possessions that he did get and do, and be super efficient was underrated the entire time he was in Houston and I think people just in general are forgetting how great Chris Paul is and how great he was even over the last two years when they assume, all right, so Westbrook has like more physical talent. He's four years younger. Like, of course, that's an upgrade. Like, I really don't know if it is. But um, all that being said, I, I trust the Rockets to put together an annoying like 54 win season. Yeah, you were doing a great job making arguments for why we shouldn't take them seriously, and then you're just turning right around <laughs> at the end and saying, yeah, we, they have to do it because they've done it before. I don't that know. That team we'll is going to haunt me regardless. That's all I know. But yeah, no, you're, I mean, you're, look, your West, concerns no, are, are well-founded. On the shooting stuff, Westbrook shot 21% from 3 to 10 feet. He shot 33% from 10 to 16 feet, uh, 36% on long twos. And remember, he's taking a lot. Unless he is marginalized basically as like, you know, a second or third option. Like, honestly, I would rather have Eric Gordon be their second option than Westbrook. Yeah, that's blasphemous. And I don't think that's going to happen, but that's a better second option. You look at the team offensive efficiency ratings for Oklahoma City since Kevin Durant left. They're not good. (laughs) You know, they're not where they need to be. They're not elite. They're a far cry from where the Rockets were with James Harden. Uh, even when Chris Paul was injured, uh, you know, Harden was able to carry significantly better offenses than anything Westbrook's ever put together by himself. So he will need to take a major step back if a lot of these things uh, that you're predicting uh, are going to come to fruition. And I think that we should be focusing when we're analyzing the Rockets a lot more on what you described about the potential to flame out as opposed to what they're going to do in the regular season. Because why are we going to be getting ourselves all excited during the regular season and being forced to have these types of conversations that you're describing if we've seen Westbrook's track record and the fit issues are going to come out more in the postseason you know like why do we have to do that that you're you're telling us that this is what our prescription is going to be for the next six months and I'm saying should we be smarter than that and just avoid that and and not even worry about it till we get to April unless Westbrook some shows some fundamental change you know why are we going down that path I would like to think that we can avoid going down that path, but Ben, it's a really long NBA season. (laughs) And I think that every now and then we hit these pockets uh, of each season where you can go back to the pre-Kawhi Raptors. Every year there would be like two or three weeks where we'd say, oh, like I think Dwayne Casey has cracked the code this year and this Raptors team might have the right mix to to take down LeBron and really be a threat in the East. And like we do that with a handful of fake contenders every year. I just have a feeling that we're going to have to do that with the Rockets as well. But look, maybe okay. you and I, we can make a pledge right now to not do that with the Russ Harden combination in Houston because I'm certainly down on both and you're you're more down on Russ than I am. Look, if Russ comes out and changes who he is fundamentally as a player and and as a, you know, uh on the pecking order of his team, if he's no longer trying to be a number one or a number one, a one B type guy, then sure. I'll open my mind to it. I just don't see that happening. And I think also the track record here of how long this can work is important to analyze, which is why I kind of brought him up compared to Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight basically had a one year expiration date these last few years, right? We've seen Westbrook Mm -hmm. basically have a two year uh, window with Paul George. We've seen Harden have a two year window with Chris Paul, uh, a pretty short window with Dwight Howard there in Houston, 
I mean, there is tension on both sides in terms of how long they can make these superstar partnerships work. And I guess I'm curious, how long do you think these two guys are going to be playing together in Houston? I mean, I think the over-under right now should be set at two years. And I think the problem is Westbrook's contract is so big that, yeah. you know, if you're Harden, you know, are we totally sure Harden's still going to be in Houston, uh, you know, two years from now? How sure are you about I would that? bet on I would bet on two years um, being like, I, I guess if you're if you're setting the over under at two years, I would I would bet on a push there because I think that's about as long as it's going to last before a ceiling becomes clear and everybody starts to get a little restless. Um, the one thing that has been strange to me, I've seen a number of people that I really respect justify this deal by saying, well, Maury thinks that he can then move Westbrook and Westbrook's deal is going to be easier to move than, than Chris Paul's deal would have been. I don't really know if that's true. I mean, if this doesn't work in Houston, it's going to be pretty tough. Like I came out, we were at the board of governors meeting with a bunch of writers uh, two weeks ago. And I said, look, I think somebody is going to talk themselves into Westbrook this summer. And then there's just enough hope there that somebody is going to give up more than we expect to get him. I don't think that that leap of faith is going to happen the next time he's dealt. And we already saw this year when we try to forecast potential landing spots around the league, like there were maybe three or four teams that like maybe made sense. If you were really willing to really like open your mind get into Saguaro National Park mode and and sort of like transcend the boundaries of what we think is possible. You could you could picture Westbrook on the Bulls or Westbrook on the Heat or maybe the Knicks taking a chance. But like two years from now, if this Rockets experiment falls apart and his game like his game is not as well suited to age well as Chris Paul's was. And so like, it's going to get pretty thorny and that's where like, I, who knows it's, it's not going to end well. I think that's a safe bet. Completely. And that's why the Dwight Howard thing comes in. I mean, it's not going to end well just for the player himself. It's not going to end well for the stars around him. It could not end well for the front office (laughs) and uh, you know, the coaching staff for sure. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, potential blow up uh, possibility here with this scenario. And I just think that that risk should basically define their move for Westbrook, right? Like the fact that all okay. these things, because uh, to me, it's just fundamentally different. Like I liked it when they took on the Chris Paul and all the questions <laughs> about who's, whose uh, team it was and everything else a couple years ago. There was lots of people who were against that. I was completely for it. I thought it could work. It worked about... 90 to 95 percent as well as i expected you know clearly yeah. they, they didn't quite get over the hump in some pretty key moments and you know paul's injuries definitely uh you know played a factor there but it was a really good balance uh and and uh, you know partnership on the court i think your argument is that something similar is possible with westbrook and maybe i'm still not sold on that but i just think that like the blow-up potential like chris paul did not leave and like leaving houston in ruins right and I right. think that that is a key difference with this Westbrook maneuver is that the risk factor on taking on his contract at this point right now of his career is much, much higher than the risk factor was bringing in Chris Paul and, you know, giving him that next contract, uh, you know, the kind of the way they did it on that delay. I just think the risk is like, you know, five or 10 times greater. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. 
Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Okay, let's keep bouncing around here. Mert says... We saw that both Kawhi and PG didn't want to play with LeBron. So let me ask you this. Is it possible that if the light, if the Lakers did not sign LeBron James last summer, they would have a more competitive roster this year? So I guess essentially what he's asking is if they had struck out on LeBron, would they have uh, Kawhi and PG right now? What do you think? Well, I was. this question made me think that. Remember how LeBron kind of like, uh, forecast where he was going to go to the Lakers like well in advance like the rumors came out like almost a year early mm-hmm. I'm wondering if in hindsight he was like staking his claim to the Lakers spot because he knew Kawhi was going to you know be in a situation where maybe he would move and he knew Paul George was going to be a free agent right like if he hadn't done yeah. that do those guys find a way to get to the Lakers either by trade or by signing um, that same summer you know what I mean? Like, did, was this part of one of those like master plan, you know, LeBron puppeteer moments where like the reason one of the factors for, you know, leaking his interest in the Lakers so early was to make sure that he could be the one who who landed there. Because if you're Magic just, and those guys, like, of course you're going to pick LeBron over anybody else, right? But if he had just never done yeah. that and said, oh, "I'm going to go in and weigh my different options," if you're the Lakers and you have a shot at trading for Kawhi Leonard, if you have a shot at signing. Paul George, maybe that becomes a bigger priority for you and you don't put all your eggs in the LeBron basket because you're worried that it might backfire. Um, yeah. I just wonder how much of this did LeBron orchestrate? I guess that's my question. It's, I think LeBron orchestrated like 98% of it. And and a lot of the decisions that the Lakers made were run past LeBron and, and his team before they made him. I would take this in another direction, though, where I wonder which team would you like more? LeBron and Paul George last year with some of the young guys or Kawhi and Paul George this year? Um, With all their supporting cast, I would still take the Clippers supporting cast in terms of winning a title. I was going to say, you know, if you imagine this scenario where they do sign Paul George and then they use all of their assets to trade for Anthony Davis, would you rather have that team, Paul George, Anthony Davis, and then replacement players for going forward for however many years Paul George signs for? Or would you rather have LeBron, AD, and the scrap players they have right now. I think I would actually prefer to have LeBron and AD uh, just because that way you don't have to deal with Paul George's you know potential injury issues. And I do think LeBron's still you know a meaningfully better player than Paul George, uh, especially in a postseason yeah. format. But that one's pretty close too, you know, in terms of like an alternate history. Because you know, yeah, like, like it, Paul George is closer to Anthony Davis's age, um, you know. Again, you know, he's a, a real two-way player in his prime. I think you might have some issues there of who gets to be the alpha, and it's kind of weird because neither one of those guys is like a real ball handler uh, in terms of running the offense. So it's not an ideal pairing. Like you'd still need a really good guard to like make them work. Um, yeah. But still, like that would be a, a pretty tantalizing combination too. 
Speaking of ball handling, it is kind of insane to me that the Lakers are entering next season with a guard rotation of Rajon Rondo, Alex Caruso, Avery Bradley, and Quinn Cook. Like, I mean, as a as a potential title contender, to be relying on those four guys is just amazing to me. Well, that's why you, you got the uh, clutch sports press release and <laughs> LeBron's going to be the point guard cuz you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to dig too deep into their backcourt rotation cuz it gets pretty ugly pretty uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Um but continuing on, Brad says, "Is Kemba Walker just a less fortunate version of Kyrie Irving? Kyrie has been blessed with talented teams while Kemba played with mediocre talent his entire career." If Kemba and Kyrie had had alternate former teams, would the narrative for both players reflect that? What do you think, Ben? Of course. I mean, there's no question. If Kyrie had never played with LeBron, I think we would have a completely different conversation about who Kyrie is as a player. That's one of the reasons why yeah. I, t- I tend to harp on his negatives. Um, you, know, you look back at where those teams were before LeBron came back. I mean, they they lacked uh, you know locker room cohesion. They lacked uh, chemistry on the court. Uh, it was a lot of empty numbers, lots of losing, coaching changes. I mean, all those kinds of things. And that's pretty much what Kemba Walker's had to go through in Charlotte. Um, so, you know, there's no doubt. I think the, the question for Kemba now, though, is you're in a much better organization. You have a better coach, the best coach he's ever played for. You have uh, a, a significantly better front office in terms of being able to find uh, players who are going to be complimenting him. It's the best talent roster that he's ever had around him. Uh, you know, given, you know, Boston's talent. So there is an element of it's time to put up, you know, you, you, let's, let's see it, you know, show everybody that you can lead a, a 48 win team uh, or maybe mm-hmm. even a 58, uh, 50 win team. Uh, so I, I think that it, it kind of cuts both ways because Kyrie has been part of, you know, a championship team, many winning teams. He, he proved that he could be a functional member in those environments. And I think there is a degree of pressure on Kemba to do the same after so many years of being able to blame his supporting cast and his organization and everything else like that. Like I, I do think he should enter this season with pretty heavy expectations. Yeah, well, and I think that Kemba is going to be a better regular season player than Kyrie ever was. And Kyrie hasn't been a great regular season player for long stretches of his career. And so the Celtics will probably outperform expectations this year. Um, and and I think Kemba will be a great fit in that sense. Kyrie is a better player in the playoffs. And part of that just goes to his size. I trust Kyrie to be able to get his shot off in any playoff setting. And Kemba is a guy who may be a little bit easier to double just because he's smaller. And sometimes it's as simple as that. That's one of the things like Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz talked about that with Chris Paul. It's one of the kind of hidden stories of Chris Paul's career is that his size worked against him in some of the bigger playoff moments. And, uh, and I worry about that with Kemba. I think he's awesome and he has gotten... 110 percent out of what his career was supposed to be um but there's still more questions when you get to like the absolute highest highest levels with me but i i'm excited to watch him in boston the the press conference yesterday i was bummed out that ennis Cantor made the Kyrie joke i would have like Basically, Ennis Cantor is just so thirsty that it's hard for me to enjoy when he has like a, an awesome viral moment. But um, 
it was a good reminder that Kyrie Irving's Celtics commercial last year is one of the most ridiculous things to happen in the last like five to seven years because literally like three weeks after that commercial aired, we now know that he was talking to Spencer Dinwiddie behind the scenes about joining the Nets next season. Yeah, I mean, if there was ever uh, evidence that we live in a disposable, no accountability society that you were asking for <laughs> earlier, uh, there it is. Um, you still overrate it's Kyrie in the playoffs, man. It kills me, man. You, how, how are you still talking about Kyrie in these hallowed playoff uh, terms because he had three good games against Golden State? I mean, come on. What do you mean three good games against Golden State? First of all, he was good against Golden State in the following year when Golden State had Durant and was basically unbeatable. He's also, I mean, he tore up the Celtics when they got wiped a couple off the times court that year. Well, okay, I would, I would think that those games were reasonably close, and Golden State had probably the best starting five of the last like forty years um, in that series. So I'm not going to hold that against Kyrie. What I'm saying is that if you're asking me like which player I trust more in a playoff series, like it's definitely Kyrie, just because I think the size and the track record is there. Where Kemba is closer to a guy like Damian Lillard, where you you look at their numbers in the playoffs, and and with, with I'm talking about Lillard specifically here, like his percentages get worse. And um, right, but and he's the number one guy on his team. Kyrie's never been that in the playoffs, and we saw how that looked. How did his percentages look in this year's playoffs as the number one guy this, for Boston? Look, I'll take Damian I'm not Lillard ready to over stand Kyrie. Out based, I'm taking Dame over okay. Kyrie in the playoffs from here going forward. You know, ten times out of ten, and I think it's it's more of a question because that's, Kemba a, fair, has that's imp- a fair point hasn't proven it against Kyrie, but I think that we need to update your narrative on Kyrie about this amazing postseason player because I have been listening to it for three years and we saw a different story this year. Okay, so you don't think that there's any question about Kemba and and what he can do as the number one option on a on a playoff team? No, of because course, because that's basically uh, my argument. My argument is that there are fewer questions with Kyrie. If you get to the conference finals and and how you guard him, then there will be with Kemba. I think there's very similar questions for both of them. Your point on the lack of size for Kemba is well taken. The fact that Kemba hasn't ever really done it before in a in a meaningful way in Charlotte is a question that I just raised, you know, a minute or two ago. I just think that you're giving Kyrie a lot of credit for stuff that he did as the number two guy where he wasn't facing all of that stuff, where he was able to just kind of, you know, do what he does best. And when you are now the number one guy in Brooklyn until Katie comes back and, uh, you know, Kemba is going to be the number one guy in Boston and Damian Lillard's been the number one guy in Portland here for the last couple of years in the postseason, uh, Kyrie's reputation needs to reflect those changes. Uh, Well, okay, here's the deal. Listen, 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 listen. I've had to listen to you talk to me about how amazing Kevin Durant's finals breakthroughs were over the last couple years and how we should all sit back and appreciate what he did against the Cavs. He had a lot of help too, okay? So it goes both ways. I think if, if Kyrie dropped 40 in the finals to help the Cavs take down one of the best teams the NBA had seen in the last like 20 years, 
uh, when we when you go back to 16, like that matters. And, and I don't think you can just sort of shrug it off and say, well, I mean, he, he did it with LeBron. So it doesn't it, it's not as impactful or not as relevant when you're talking about what his playoff just ceiling saying, is. It's not like, the, we've seen this guy come through. OK, well, we've also seen Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about his playoff averages for his career, 29, 8 and 4. OK, this guy's been mm-hmm. doing it in the in the playoffs for a decade often as the number one option, uh, despite having lots of talent around him. I mean, he's shooting 56% in the 2017 playoffs, 29, 8, and 4. I mean, this year he was averaging 32, 5, and 5. Uh, you know, shooting unbelievable 51%. I mean, there's no comparison between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. And throw on top of it, Kyrie Irving has missed I'm not two full them. playoff runs due to injuries. And so I'm just saying like... I'm just saying that we can't apply context one place and not apply it another place. I know. I think I, that- the only context you apply is the seven good games Kyrie's had in the playoffs. You're, you're forgetting about <laughs> all the other... That's not true. <laughs> I trash Kyrie. Look, Kyrie, I'm out on Kyrie after the Bucks series. The way he handled that series is such a massive red flag that it honestly, I think we should think about the rest of his career differently and, and have a lot more concerns than we've had thus well, far. The best case, uh, worst and, case team for Brooklyn. That's the team we should have started this whole thing with. The <laughs> yes. worst case for Brooklyn is really, really bad. Oh, it's a good point because you look up and are they going to start DeAndre Jordan? Is that the plan? Like if you pay him $40 million, don't you have to start him? All I know is Jared Allen going out there and playing every game at Summer League was such a flex. It was like, guys, look at me out here. I'm so loyal to this organization, even though they gave my job away to a guy who's definitely worse than me already at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, DeAndre Jordan had, and, and first of all, we should say he's one of the more enjoyable characters in the NBA. Like when I was around Team USA, a couple years ago. Everybody loves that dude. He's a great interview. He's a fun guy. And he's another one in the same way that Kemba has gotten like 110% out of what anyone would have expected from him in the NBA. DeAndre Jordan has put together a great little career for himself after being a second round pick out of Texas A&M. However, watching him in Dallas at the beginning of last season, like that guy does not have a lot left. And so to just sort of bring him in because he's popular and and fun to hang out with and be like, yeah, this guy is going to be our starter is a crazy move on Brooklyn's part and on, I guess, Kyrie and KD's part. So then you you look at the rest of that roster, I guess like the selling point for Brooklyn is going to be Karis LeVert is a all-star caliber sidekick to Kyrie and we believe in Karis and Dinwiddie and Torian Prince. I don't know. It, it is going to be pretty interesting. Like, it, what if you had to guess now? How many how many games do they win next year? Um, I would say like forty five or forty six. Um, okay. Know, I'm not. I don't know. And I also think that like if Kyrie does his normal thing and plays sixty five games, if they were in the Western Conference, they would not even be you know a playoff team. They'd be a lottery team. Yeah, uh, which is crazy to think about, but I I can't really disagree. I think that they would be like seventh or eighth in the West. Um, I'm not quite as low on them as you are, no, but yeah, no way, 45. no way. There's two teams that can make the Western Conference playoffs in the East: Milwaukee and Philly. Everybody else is going home. Not that's not true. I think that the Celtics would have a oh, shot. Oh come on! 
<laughs> my, what you're you just got done saying that Kemba is is about the same level as Kyrie if that's true no, I just said then, that they 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 face similar questions heading into this year's postseason after the evidence we saw from Kyrie and after the fact that Kemba has no real evidence to speak of both those guys mm-hmm. face lots of questions that's all okay yeah, well, I hear you. Um, fun little meaningless arguments here at the end. Uh, let's jump back to the West real quick. Connor says, do you think the Jeremy Grant trade moves the needle for the Nuggets? He fills a huge need and is a fantastic fit with Jokic offensively. He could be like Kenneth Fareed, but with a jump shot and a desire to play defense. What do you guys think? Ben, what do you think? Because there are a lot of people very, very excited about what Jeremy Grant can do in Denver, and I think I'm with them. Oh, I'm definitely with them. I think it makes sense as a move now because he brings a lot of skills to the table. Uh, The shooting stuff, people are going to question, is that going to be sustainable? I think he should get a lot of good shots in Denver uh, based on the way that they play. The athleticism is absolutely there. Um, The defensive stuff is there, and I think what I really like about it is just sort of the contract structure with him and Millsap because they chose to pick up the option on Millsap and pay him a bunch this year rather than extending him. And my concern Mm -hmm. with that strategy was they were going to get themselves into a position next summer where it was like they were going to feel obligated to bring Millsap back again on a big number because they wanted to kind of keep things going. And so I like Grant more than anything as a hedge against Millsap's future. You know, I think it could be a situation where they get to next summer, they just decide to pay Grant um, you know, on a longer term deal and they let Millsap walk, but they don't actually lose that much based on Millsap's age uh, and everything. So I don't know if you want to call that a money ball move or just like a forward looking move. Um, but I think, you know, being able to keep quality players around their core is going to get trickier and trickier as soon as those guys contracts kick in, um, especially Murray's. And so to me, like being able to proactively uh, address a potential roster hole that will exist 12 months from now was super smart work by their front office. Yeah, I think it's a big, big win. And I, the, I'm most excited. I agree that he provides kind of an insurance policy in both the short term and the long term for Paul Millsap. But I am most excited because I think that the Nuggets are going to enter next season with a lot of talent. Uh, and fewer questions to answer than some of the other teams around the West. And it would be great to see them go out and win 55, 60 games and, and finish at the top of the West. And, um, and the biggest question I had like at the beginning of July is, what do they do on the wing? Paul Millsap had some sketchy injuries last year. And really, the Nuggets had a number of injuries throughout last year's regular season, which makes their final record like that much more impressive. So I think factoring in good health for them this year is another reason to, to be excited about what's possible. But you look around the West, and a huge part of Jeremy Grant's value is going to be like how incredible the wings are on LA, how incredible LeBron is. Like you need somebody who can kind of be thrown at those guys and at least not die. And I think Jeremy Grant is is that guy who's going to be able to be sort of like a defensive Swiss army knife. I don't trust his shooting that much. I think like he, his percentages are probably more impressive than he actually is as a shooter. Um, but for the holes they had, Jeremy Grant solves a lot. Uh, and 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 he, they basically only had to give up a protected first. Like, that's a big win. 
No, it was a great price. I mean, it was kind of a no-brainer on that side of it. Um, he's really only had good shooting numbers for basically, I think, like two of his seasons. It's just wildly fluctuated. So I think that's yeah. definitely something to be, uh, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, I was with you on almost all of that, except for the part where you know, I'm just picturing LeBron and, and Kawhi kind of big, <laughs> maybe big brothering him a little bit. You know, it's like there's not, yeah. you he's don't not think the strongest Jeremy Grant frame. is the Kawhi solution? No, and I think it's a, a big question uh, for that Denver team. It's like, are you going to be able to win through this, like the power of five guys, you know, like kind of spreading out all the responsibilities when you're going up against these big time star wings because the matchups don't look great. Right. I mean, I just I look at it and say, all right, well, so Jeremy Grant is a much better solution than throwing out like Juancho Hernan Gomez as the starting three or um, Will Barton, you know, like Torrey Craig, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap. With those three guys, you'll at least have a little bit of hope when you enter some of those matchups against LeBron, Kawhi, PG and whoever else. I mean, Jeremy Grant did an okay job bothering Harden. Like, his length can at least make guys uncomfortable, which I don't think the Nuggets had before last week. Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it was one of the better, un, not under the radar, because I think people did talk about it, but it was one of the better smaller moves. I mean, I think I made this comparison before, but, like, you want to pay Grant his number or Bojan his number, knowing that those guys are going to have to play minutes against the LeBrons and the Ka- uh, Kawhis of the world, I, I think I would rather take Denver's side. Definitely. Um, All right. I want to end with this, Ben, from Yuri, who says, Hi, guys. My name is Yuri, and I'm a neuroscientist at Virginia Tech. So first of all, go Hokies. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to be the steal of the draft. And second, I wanted to tell you guys that I do a lot of long and sometimes very tedious experiments. So that's when I usually listen to podcasts. I recently came up with the idea that maybe podcast karma could affect my experiments. So I started writing down which podcast I was listening to while having a good recording session. Well, and I assume he means recording brainwaves if he's a neuroscientist. Uh, So I can't imagine listening to our inane takes while doing neuroscience, practicing neuroscience. But he continues and says... The preliminary results are in, and Open Floor is in the lead and has the best experiment karma of any podcast that I listen to. So thank you very much, and please keep up the good karma. Ben, I read this because I think this continues a theme. We can go back to our termites, uh, Kevin and Dan, who are like award-winning music video directors, um... I feel like our listeners continue to be a lot more impressive than we are. No, that sounded really interesting. Um, I kind of question his whole thesis here, though. I'm not sure he's going to be able to publish this in the Neuroscience Journal. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are we getting crazy brainwave readings off of Kyrie Irving arguments? Is that what's happening? I don't know. but You never know, I'll take the compliment, uh, I guess. I'm not sure what to say. But look, if you're getting good karma in your day-to-day uh, you know, working environment, let us know. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for two words. It's Open Floor. Find that page, scroll down, it will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. And leave this kind of a nice email like we got from Yuri. Leave that as a review to help us spread the word. We'd appreciate it. We're also on radio.com slash openfloorandrew. Until next week, I will talk to you.
All right, man, we're here to help the scientific community. Go back to the cacti. I will hit you up early next week. 